the FT. Hello and welcome to the Financial Times. I'm Chris Cook. I'm here just after the Chancellor sat down from giving his budget speech with Martin Sanbu, one of our economics leader writers, with Sarah Neville, our public policy editor, and Jonathan Ely, our personal finance editor. We're here to talk about what this budget means for you, what it means for Britain. Uh, we've heard uh, George Osborne set out a fairly dismal set of figures. Borrowing is up. The deficit's going to be up by about £10 billion for the foreseeable future. The debt target, which we'd hope to hit the end of this parliament, is drifting out to the middle of the next one. Growth is down this year and next. It's all looking quite grim. Martin, does the Chancellor have a plan to get us out of this funk and get growth going again? Well, the Chancellor is very clearly sticking to his original plan. It's true, though, we've gone far off track from where we thought and everyone expected that we would be uh, at this point. Uh, and it was not happy reading for the Chancellor, I don't think, to give the new Office of Budget Responsibility forecasts. But the Chancellor is essentially doubling down on his original plan. There's very little in this budget for the short term. There are quite a few changes, including moving, shifting the focus of spending from current spending, salaries, public sector salaries, and so on, into infrastructure spending and some tax cuts, all of which the Chancellor claims will have a stimulative effect on the economy, but nobody will believe that it will have a stimulative effect right now. These are things that come into effect within a couple of years. Infrastructure spending, for example, will be $3 billion higher per year from 2015. There will be an allowance, he calls it the jobs allowance, in the national insurance payments to up to 2,000 less that will benefit small businesses. But that doesn't start until a year from now. And so so it goes with many other policy moves he made. This is not really a budget for a recovery. The Chancellor is sticking to his original path, which I think he's politically probably obliged to do. It is more of a budget for after the recovery. So one must hope that we'll do some good, but it surely won't do any good in the short term. Now, the the lever that's been pulled again and again over the last few years is the monetary policy lever. He made a couple of announcements about the remit, and what exactly did that mean, and what does that is that going to help? That's right. This has been a mantra that you've heard also in the Prime Minister's speeches recently. Fiscal responsibility with monetary activism. You could put that in a different way. It puts all the burden for short-term stimulus on monetary policy and the Bank of England. And these are exciting times to follow the Bank of England because a new governor is coming in in June, Mark Carney from the Bank of Canada. There's been a lot of expectation that he might be given new powers and new responsibility to be more aggressive with monetary policy. And clearly this remains the government's hope that monetary policy can compensate for the drag that fiscal policy causes. So what he announced was... A change to the remit, but not as big a change as some had wanted. Some people thought they might consider actually changing the target from just stabilizing inflation to uh, targeting the growth in the nominal size of the economy, nominal GDP targeting. He did not do that. Uh, What he did say was that he wants the Bank of England, under the new governor, to use its communication more. It will be allowed to give forward guidance about how long it might keep interest rates low while still keeping inflation as a primary target. This is very clearly modelled on the Federal Reserve in the US, which said last year, we're going to keep interest rates low until unemployment comes down under a certain level. It seems like that's where we're headed in the UK. Will that work? Well, 
You might hope that monetary policy can do some more. I think monetary policy hasn't run out of road. But there are some question marks. Partly inflation is already above target. So if you're going to be constrained by the same target, maybe you won't get any more effect. Another problem is that with the dysfunctional banking system we have in the UK, even when the Bank of England is aggressive, it's not clear that the banks manage to transmit that so well to the rest of the economy. So basically, it's uh, pretty bleak news and it doesn't feel like there's a magnificent dramatic rescue plan that's just around the corner. There's no silver bullet. There's no big change in plan. There's not a strong sense of urgency and we have to do something. In fact, I think the Chancellor is asking his voters to believe him that this is really the only way, but there will be a reward at the end of the road. So that's the big picture. But Jonathan, you edit our personal finance pages. What does this mean for individuals? Well, the most obvious um, change is the change to the personal allowance. Um, hitting, Raising that to £10,000 was a key uh, election pledge. They'll be doing it um, a year early. That's obviously very good news for those, particularly on lower incomes, who will be able to earn more before they start paying income tax. Less good news, actually, for those on medium to higher um, incomes because the reduction in the top rate... Uh, the rate at which you start paying the 40% taxation somewhat offsets the increase in the personal allowance. And for very high earners, those on more than 150,000, we already have the higher rate of taxation, the highest rate of taxation, coming down from 50p in the pound to 45p with effect from April. That was announced in the, um, in the autumn statement. Another significant move was the moves to support the uh, housing market and mortgage availability particularly. There are two elements to that. Um, the, the scheme for help to buy, it's called, um, which basically extends current first-time buyer help um, to all home buyers, not just first-time buyers. So basically you put up a 5% deposit, the government lends you another 20%. Uh, that scheme will run for three years from 2013 and uh, it's available on houses up to 600,000 in value. So notionally, a rich uh, a rich person could buy a posh flat in one of London's swankier new build developments and get the government to lend them uh, 20% of the price. You'd think that one of the lessons of recent years is we really don't want the government exposing itself to the uh, housing market and investing large amounts of of capital into propping up the the, uh, property market. Indeed. I mean, the the construction industry will welcome this. Uh, One of the key problems um, with the housing market in recent years has been the lack of mortgage finance for those who can afford repayments but can't muster the necessary deposits. And both this scheme and the other one that was announced today uh, go some way towards addressing that. But there is a counter-argument that says the best way to deal with the issues in housing is not to subsidise the market or, or contribute to the alleged inflation of asset bubbles, but actually to free up the um, planning system so that the houses we need get built a lot quicker than they are um, being built at the moment. Does anything else stand out for you? The other um, couple of other uh, significant things, um, junior ISAs and child trust funds, uh, you'll be able to merge child trust funds into junior ISAs in future. That's a revenue neutral move, but a long overdue one. Um, many parents um, with children in either one or the other camps or both will be uh, pleased about that. And some interesting moves on AIM as well. Um, the Chancellor said that uh, shares quoted on AIM and other uh, growth exchanges, by which he means um, ISDX, the older uh, plus markets, will no longer be um, uh, you'll no longer be required to pay stamp duty on those um, which is particularly interesting for the alternative investment market there's already a consultation going through 
um, to allow AIM traded shares into individual savings accounts. Um, shares on AIM are already um, exempt from inheritance tax if you hold them for more than two years. So if this latest reform goes through, then AIM stocks really will be very tax advantaged uh, indeed, and that could be uh, an interest. They could become a very interesting uh, tax planning tool, particularly for wealthier investors. Thanks, Jonathan. So, Sarah, does this all sound like a successful budget? Well, certainly compared with last year, although that admittedly is not a terribly high bar because last year's budget really was quite disastrous. It caused a a, a measurable and lasting drop in support for the Conservatives. But I think, you know, sometimes one can't always estimate the political fallout of a budget for a few days. But one thing that... We haven't had any of the granny taxes or pasty taxes or we caravan haven't. taxes. And so far. So, so far. far. And I think the phrase that we were all meant to take away from the budget, because it was endlessly repeated, was an aspiration nation. And that was quite carefully calibrated to get away from the um, the, the sort of class-laden rhetoric that um, the critics of the Conservatives in particular tend to employ. And I thought George Osborne went some way to backing it up, particularly with his measures to encourage home ownership. I mean, Margaret Thatcher would have uh, endorsed his, his really heartfelt commitment to the idea that the ultimate goal, the, the ultimate um, proof almost of social mobility, is being able to own your own home. She might not have liked putting government money into it. <laughs> she, she may well not have liked that. Yes, different uh, uh, remedies for different times, I guess. Sure. And lo- looking further ahead beyond the sort of the immediate froth. Do you you have any broader thoughts? What does this mean for 2015? Well, I think, you know, ultimately the only thing that matters is growth. It's growth, for instance, that's going to restore the fortunes of the the squeezed middle, the group that the the government clearly had squarely in mind as it it framed today's budget. Um, The other thing I thought was very interesting was the hint of a much tougher squeeze to come on welfare. Um, And that is going to mean some really hard choices, which could certainly see the welfare state giving very much less to middle and upper earners um, and perhaps even the elderly, the group that George Osborne yet again protected with his um, help for equitable life policyholders. But sooner or later, the government really is going to have to get to grips, I think, with the issue of universal benefit for elderly people. Back in 2010, we had this sort of conversation about whether the government was going to reshape the state or just try and do everything sort of cheaper. Yes. So that like that is, it feels like actually going to have to revisit that. I think they are. I think they, they, they are going to have to revisit this from, from the bottom up if, they, if, if they're going to get this fresh round of, of really deep cuts, which George Osborne seemed to be hinting at today. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks also to Martin and Jonathan. I'm Chris Cook. This has been the FT Budget Podcast. There's plenty more analysis on FT.com. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you as one of the largest integrated fee only registered investment advisors in the u.s corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals no matter how complex Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.